0: and you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash SlashFilm.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to SlashFilm Daily for November 1st, 2017. On today's show, we're going to dive into a bunch of news. We're actually going to have an all-news edition coming off of that spoiler-filled discussion of Stranger Things 2. Uh, So it's going to be packed with news today. We're going to be talking about the accusations against Director Brett Ratner and what that might mean for the future of Warner Brothers. We're going to be talking about Blade Runner 2049's overseas box office, Runaways, Early Buzz, a Thor Ragnarok deleted scene, a Movie Pass adds weird new policy stipulations, the reason why some movie theaters might not be playing Star Wars Force Awakens, a 24 reboot is in the works, and an update on the Tyrese Rock Fast and Furious feud. And finally, the first plot details for Shane Black's the P- the Predator. I almost said the Punisher. Uh, this is Peter Serotta, and joining me on today's podcast are slash film writer Chris Evangelista, hello, and slash film senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Not much. We we have a lot of news because we have like two days worth of news to get into. So let, let, let's just get into it. Uh, director Bratton Ratner. Uh, has been accused of sexual harassment and misconduct by at least six women. Uh, Ben, you wrote this up for SlashFilm.com. What do we know, and how does this affect the future of Warner Brothers movie releases? Yes, so Brett Ratner, the
0: director of the the Rush Hour movies, he directed uh, X-Men 3. Uh, The LA Times has basically spoken with a handful of women who have accused him of sexual harassment and sexual misconduct. Uh, You can read all of the pretty gross details of those allegations uh, on Slashfilm in the article that I wrote up. But I think aside from the sort of um, human element of this story, which is terrible in and of itself, uh, there are some pretty serious uh, business ramifications for this decision, because Brett Ratner has only directed two movies in the past six years, but he has since become one of Hollywood's biggest uh, producers. He Has a company called Rat Pack Entertainment that uh, joined with another company called Dune Entertainment to form Rat Pack Dune and that company has invested $450 million into Warner Brothers and they're basically Warner Brothers' biggest um, financiers, or one of the the studio's biggest financiers, uh, especially since Legendary moved over to Universal not too long ago. Yeah, so, al-
1: almost any movie you see from Warner Brothers, you'll see that big R logo before it. You'll you'll be like, Brett Radner's. Involved with Justice League. What is going on right. here? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So he his company is largely responsible for a, a lot of Warner Brothers um, Big studio tentpole films. So we're wondering, you know, I, I think You know, nothing has officially come out about Warner Brothers coming down one way or the other about this, but I think All eyes are on them right now as to how they're going to react to this um, You know for previous You uh, Instances of sexual misconduct in even in the past week, like Netflix shut down production on House of Cards following the allegations against Kevin Spacey. So you would think that Warner Brothers might want to distance themselves from uh, Ratner and his company. But four hundred fifty million dollars is a lot of money. So this seems like w- maybe the first real test since the Harvey Weinstein allegations and all this stuff of whether a Hollywood studio is going to um You know, sort of, uh, I guess,
1: you know, it's a tough position for them because if they. Oh, it's it's much different than an actor like Kevin Spacey. This is like the guy who's funding all the movies, you know, that's helping to fund the movies. It's like if you get rid of him, it's hard to replace that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, they've got to be in crisis mode over there right now. It seems like if they decide to keep the deal in place, it will look from the outside as if they don't really care about the stories that these women are telling. And then if they do end up canceling this deal, they have to scramble to track down new investors because there are a lot of movies that are sort of hanging in the balance here. And again, I don't want to make it seem like these movies are more important than the women who are coming out against Brett Ratner. But just, you know, looking at it strictly from a business perspective, you've got, you know, Wonder Woman 2 and Black Adam The Flash and uh, It Chapter 2, Godzilla versus Kong. I mean, these are like big, potentially big, big movies that may not uh happen in the way that they were planned to happen if warner brothers makes a certain decision here so uh we can't really do anything more until we hear what their official word is on this but um but yeah there's a lot hanging in the balance
1: yeah i definitely encourage you to go to slash film to read these stories from these women uh you know their voices should be heard and considered um it's uh you know i said last week ben you know, I was, when we were talking about all, you know, the Kevin Spacey thing, I was like, you know, when is it going to come to the directors? Because there there is definitely some problems in Hollywood with directors. And I think this is, you know, the first step towards uh, some of that being shed to light uh, publicly, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and that's, yeah, that's a good sure. thing. Um, moving on. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 was not a hit in the United States. Uh, many had speculated that. Oh, Maybe China will come to the save Much in the same way that they have for other movies Like Pacific Rim But no, the movie has bombed in China Chris Give us the depressing news
2: Right, so uh, They were hoping China would save The day for Blade Runner 24-9 But it did not happen um, It's opening weekend there It made only, I'm, I'm saying only in quote marks Because I'd be fine with this amount of money But it's <laughs> It only made $8.3 million uh, its opening weekend, whereas it opened against uh, Geostorm there, which made $10 million. So Geostorm wow. actually beat Blade Runner 2049 at the the Chinese box office. Which it's is depressing. upsetting. <laughs> yes, because I, I really like Blade Runner 2049, and, but I'm, I'm also not surprised it was not a hit, just because the first Blade Runner wasn't a hit either. It was a film that Became like a, a cult hit over the years. People discovered it, and I kind of think that's what's going to happen with this one too. And but, in a few years, people will be talking about it.
1: But Chris, you know what Blade Runner twenty forty nine didn't have, and that was a heat wave destroying a whole city. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that's, <laughs> um, if they,
2: if they had added that, it would have uh, made more money.
1: Also, in your story, you talk about this four hour two part version of the film. What do we know about that?
2: Right. So uh, the film's editor, uh, Joe Walker. Talked about how um, initially the film was uh, had a four-hour cut. Um, he's also he's talking about an assembly cut, which is pretty much every film has an assembly cut where it's like literally every piece of footage edited together, so you get multiple takes, all this stuff. So that sort of accounts for the length. But he's also talking about um, there's a few deleted scenes, but not a lot because the, the director doesn't really like the deleted scenes. He doesn't. He thinks the final film. As it comes out in theaters, that's going to be the director's cut. So, if you're looking for deleted scenes, you're you're not going to get them on on like an eventual
1: Blu-ray. Well, this does not follow in the Blade Runner tradition, then. <laughs> that's true. Yeah,
2: there's not going to be I guess there there aren't going to be a million different cuts of this. Uh,
1: one TV show I have not really been looking forward to. I, I like the comic from Brian K. Vaughn, is Runaways. It's an Hulu TV s- series. I think it's about to debut in a couple weeks. The first reviews have hit the web. Ben, is it any good? Uh, It seems like it kind of is. Yeah, I think.
0: um, So this is a show that is about a group of teenagers who unite to battle their common foe, which is their parents, who are secretly operating as a group of supervillains known as the Pride. And uh, the show comes from Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, who are responsible for I guess, drama shows like The O.C. and Gossip Girl. And, um, yeah, I've collected a handful of reviews from uh, different outlets around the web. I'll just read the one from IGN right now. Uh, It says that the show is uh, basically an accurate adaptation from the comics. They say... For those who are fans of the comic book series, worry not, because the show fully embraces the source material. It looks like every member of the cast got up off the comic book page and walked onto set. There are even hints at all the signature powers and abilities, from a special staff to a pair of gauntlets and even a certain character's trusted pet. Showrunners Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage wisely put the teen drama first and slowly mix in the superhero-y elements as the plot unfolds. So I think uh, TV critics got the first four episodes of the show and the uh, we know that the first episode sort of tells one story from the kid's perspective and then the second episode immediately retells that same story from the parents' perspective so it seems like this isn't just a show for teenagers like a lot of the shows that you might expect on you know freeform or one of those sorts of networks this seems to be uh, almost an even split between the teens and then their parents who are, you know, complicated and complex characters who uh, are certainly evil. But the the gist from these reviews seems to be that there's some pretty likable characters in that mix as well. Everyone seems to really like the cast and and what the show is doing so far. So, um, yeah, it sounds like this could be a pretty decent sized success for Hulu. It, It doesn't seem like a home run on the level of, the handmaid's tale or you know any of their biggest shows but it seems like a a really solid uh, you know a show with a lot of solid potential for them
1: I am so shocked because the trailers and ads for this looked not so great to put it mildly Um, yeah but uh, I'm gonna actually have to check this out I mean I subscribe to Hulu so why not um, there you go. Yeah. Uh, also in the news, uh, we talked, uh, I think earlier this week or maybe last week, about uh, Tessa Thompson's character in Thor Ragnarok. Tessa Thompson claimed that the character was bisexual. Uh, ben and I have seen the film. We didn't see any evidence of her being bisexual actually in the movie, and we actually had this whole discussion of, uh, do you actually need to see, uh, you know, a relationship? Or sexual activity for someone to actually be bisexual in a movie Uh, You can go listen to that episode, but as it turns out um, There was a scene confirming her bisexuality uh, the character's bisexuality Uh, Chris what do we know about this?
2: Right, so in a new interview with Rolling Stone Tessa Thompson talks about how when she learned that in the comic books the comic book character of Valkyrie is bisexual she talked to a director Takei Waititi, about including that in the film. And to his credit, he did shoot a scene where basically you see a, a female character leaving Valkyrie's bedroom, but it just did not end up in the final film, which is, I think, a little frustrating because it, I mean it, that simple scene would have been maybe enough, honestly, if they had just kept it. But it just didn't, according to the story, it just didn't work for the pacing of the scene. So they removed it.
1: That is disappointing. Um, we've been talking about Movie Pass throughout the history of this podcast. Um, uh, it has uh, been a strange ride. They introduced the nine ninety nine all you can eat uh, Movie Pass. Uh, the the company has now introduced a bunch of new policies to uh, their membership, which is kind of confusing people. Uh, it seems almost like they're trying to scare their paying customers. I don't know. Uh, Ben, what what are what are these new policies? Yes, so they have added uh, a new terms of service, and some of the updates
0: are a little strange. One of them says if you cancel your MoviePass uh, subscription, you may not subscribe to the service again for a period of nine months. So that seems uh a little odd to me from a
1: business perspective. What, what, like, what could that possibly be about? Like. Why would I why would they not want me to come back for nine months if I canceled my subscription?
0: Right. Yeah, I've seen some speculation online that, you know, maybe it's being done to stop people from only using the service during like the blockbuster uh, season, the summer season. And then, you know, maybe to penalize them so they don't just come back, you know, maybe around the holidays when all the awards movies are around but it, it seems like from a you know, MoviePass's uh, I guess business model has been cri- heavily criticized ever since they dropped their price to 9.95. And a lot of analysts are like, this is not a sustainable business. I know that the company is supposed to be selling people's information to you know theoretically make some money that way, but. We haven't really heard much about that, and I'm not sure how long MoviePass is going to be able to keep this kind of behavior, (laughs) keep this up, because this seems like something where, yeah, it's like a scare tactic. They're trying to make people think twice about canceling, and from the outside looking in, it's like, what happens if your credit card payment accidentally lapses, or... You know, there's some sort of mistake or or something like that. You're really gonna not take money from people who want to give you money for a service that seems really weird to me.
1: And there's there's some other policy changes that were equal or not as weird as that, but weird that you. Detailed. Yeah, one of them. Yeah, one of them says um on more than
0: if on more than one occasion during any 30-day period you do not view the movie for which you purchased a ticket with your movie pass card in its entirety, your service can now be suspended. So like if you walk out of two movies a month,
1: you <laughs> could lose <laughs> access to your movie pass. Well, how how, how are they going to track if you walked out of a movie? Like they don't have cameras surveying right. all these movie theaters. Yeah, that that's exactly or what I was they? thinking <laughs> that's
0: what I was thinking how are they gonna enforce this but I guess some people um, have sort of uh, reached out to me and, and told me that they may utilize the GPS on your phone to enforce that aspect of the policy where you, you do much might...
1: you do have to check in by location at the theater when you're buying the to, to activate the card where you buy the ticket so they could have it enforced so that like the the running time of the movie they do see if you leave the location and i i, right. I can understand this because maybe if you live near a movie theater you could go to the movie theater every day buy a ticket and then sell it to someone on the street for five bucks and you're making a lot of money
0: i guess yeah but it just seems it seems like i don't know maybe they're having it's some a long way to go people... for five bucks right yeah it seems like people are they might be having a lot of problems with people taking advantage of the service or abusing it in in various ways for them to sort of institute this stuff. Because, you know, unless if you're like a, a, I guess, a regular person looking at these uh, rules, you're probably thinking like, Wait a second. So if I decide that this movie sucks and I have to walk out or let's say you walk out of one and then I don't know, you have a family emergency or something or your babysitter uh, has to leave and whatever, you know, like you're being punished by this company um, for things that are outside of your control. It just seems really weird for them to sort of slip these uh, policy updates in there without coming out and addressing it in public. It just seems Yeah, like scare tactics and sort of like, um, you know, sort of like underhanded sneakiness instead of just, you know, explaining, hey, we've had a lot of trouble with people doing this. So in order to combat that, here are the reasons why we're changing things. It just seems a little weird the way that they're handling it.
1: Well, this company has notoriously been bad with communication, you know. Yes, yes uh people there's a lot of people that have bought their pass uh their movie pass and have not received their cards you know they're on over l- last time i saw it was over a month delay and getting those cards out and not answering support requests um i like the service so much uh and i know <laughs> so much that i don't care if they're they're uh the, the company is kind of um <laughs> not a good company <laughs> uh <laughs> because i want to use it and i want it to succeed even though it In my mind, there's no way they can make money off the service. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. Uh, Moving on, uh, 24 is a show which I loved when it was originally on. Were either of you fans of 24? Yeah, I watched the first few seasons and then sort of gave up once it
0: got (laughs) once. uh, I don't know. Nuclear bombs went off in Los Angeles. It sort of got got to
1: uh, past the point of no return, I think. Yeah, I only I only watched the first season. I never got beyond that. Um. Yeah. No. It, it did go downhill. Uh. You know. They tried rebooting it uh, already. That did not really work out. Um. They are going to be rebooting it again. News from Deadline is that they are going to be rebooting it with a female lead. But not just that. It is going to be a legal thriller about a female lawyer racing against the clock to unravel a conspiracy. Uh, now, so th- that sounds very different than any 24 season we've seen thus far. Uh, you know, it's just traditionally taking the form of like an action thriller in the the vein of like Die Hard or, you know, like those, those kind of, uh, films. Uh, this is being written by, uh, by Jeremy Donner, the guy that, uh, he's responsible for the killing, which is another show I, I-, I liked and went downhill. Uh, what do you guys think is, it, is, would this be something is this enough of a change to this franchise to make you consider coming back into the twenty four fold? What do you think, Chris?
2: I actually think it's an it's a neat idea to take that you know that twenty four hour premise and apply it to different genres. I kind of think, especially now that like anthology series are more popular, and more well known, thanks to so like you know American horror story, stuff like that. That kind of would be a neat idea if they did that literally every season, if every season was like in a completely different genre, but set in that 24 hour time period. I think that could actually work.
1: Yeah. Imagine a 24 comedy like Fargo Fargo that takes place in 24 hours. That'd be so weird.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I read um, Jacob Hall's article on this, which I encourage everyone to do at slashfilm.com, and it definitely I, I sort of uh, looked at the headline with a little bit of skepticism. But after reading his article and and his sort of excitement for the you know embracing that format in a totally new genre, I think there's a lot of potential there.
1: It's also very telling, I think, of our times that we we don't you know that these action. These uh, action movie kind of uh, take on Twenty Four isn't working, so they're going to the conspiracy thriller, which is probably going to focus on the corruption of our government. Um, I assume. But well, that's uh,
0: always been a part of Twenty Four, though, right? Oh yeah. There's yeah. always like a
1: mole or some sort of ridiculous thing. <laughs> For sure. I wonder. I wonder if there's going to be a mole in this one. A mole inside. <laughs> inside inside in the law firm. Yeah, inside the law firm. Yeah. Uh, Also in the news uh, we're talking about movie pass Uh, we're now talking about another thing having to do with movie theaters some movie theaters are refusing to play Star Wars Last Jedi uh, for reasons you would not suspect Ben you wrote this up for Slash Home what do we know
0: yeah the Wall Street Journal has this really interesting article about um, the demands that the Walt Disney Company is putting on theaters in order for them to uh, exhibit Star Wars The Last Jedi when that comes out in December Um, the Uh, the demands are are being described by a lot of theater owners as, quote, the most onerous they've ever seen. And it basically, the the terms of the agreement that Disney is forcing these people to enter into is that Disney will receive 65% of revenue from the ticket sales, which is the highest percentage a Hollywood studio has ever demanded before. Um, They're also forcing theaters to screen the movie in their largest auditorium for four weeks, like a guaranteed commitment of four weeks in that theater, or else they won't be allowed to play the movie at all. Um, for previous Star Wars movies, the studio had required 64% of the revenue, so this is one percentage point higher than that. Um, and if any of these theaters break any condition of the argument whatsoever, the studio is going to add a 5% fee on top of that, which would raise their take to 70% of the... Ticket sales revenue. So um, that's a lot. Generally, studios only get between 55 and 60% of their revenue from domestic releases and about 40% for overseas international releases. But, um, but, a lot of smaller theaters, that's why the the whole sort of uh, crux of the story is that small independent theaters like one screen theaters in the middle of the country, for example, would actually be hurt by keeping The Last Jedi in theaters for four weeks. Because if you live in a super small town where everyone has the chance to see the movie in the first two weeks, for example... Um, the holiday season is, a, is prime movie-going time, and there's a lot of films that are coming out around that period, and if they're stuck with The Last Jedi in there for four straight weeks when most of their you know, uh, constituency or whatever has seen the film already, that's not exactly the best business decision for these small indie theaters to be making. And that's something I never really thought about before, but I thought it was a sort of a fascinating thing for The Wall Street Journal to, uh, to report about
1: yeah i i know this has been going on for a while disney uh has been using their leverage with these big blockbusters i I know i talked to a, a guy that owns a driving that said that uh he was forced to play uh one of the disney nature films uh if he wanted to show uh the the last uh not last jedi but the previous one force awakens the force awakens uh, wow yeah, that's, so, that seems so pretty it, underhanded yeah um well, that's what he said. So the, the that's the claim. I don't I don't know anything about it. But um, but it, it, I mean, if you're a company, you, I mean, it's the same thing with I think in, in every industry when you go to the store, you know, a company that is uh, you know, uh, what what is it, Mars or Coke or wh- whatever they they sell candy, like they they force the the store to buy all their brands of candy. You know, you can't just buy one of them. Um, mm-hmm. so I th- I think it's that same kind of thing. Uh. It'll be I, I'm I'm doubting that many theaters are actually refusing to, to play Star Wars Last Jedi. There's just too much money, even even at that low percentage, to to lose uh yeah. from, from not committing to these these roles. Um Yeah, for sure. We we've there's a lot that we have talked about on this, uh, over the course of this podcast in the last couple of months. And one of those, uh, reoccurring stories is this fast and furious feud between Tyrese Gibson and, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, the latest bit in this feud is that Tyrese is threatening to quit the franchise, uh, because of The Rock. Chris, you wrote this up. Do, 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 do we really need, like, quit, right? Like yeah, it's... I'm.
2: I mean, you know, no no disrespect to Tyrese, who uh, it seems like he's going through some things right now. But I really think he's overestimating how important he is to this franchise. Like, I really don't think a lot of people come to this franchise to particularly see his character. I don't even know what his character's name is, honestly. The franchise. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not like a big Fast and Furious guy. I've seen most of the films, but I, if you had to if I had written this up and had to learn his name for the story, I would not have like known it off the top of my head. So, but yeah, basically he posted on uh, Instagram, which apparently is where all the, the fast and furious beef gets aired is Instagram uh, that he will not, he will leave, basically leave the franchise. If the rock is still involved, which I can just imagine the producers telling him, okay, see ya. I don't, I don't imagine any other outcome than that.
1: Yeah, I, I can't imagine that's the the hill that you want to stand on. <laughs> like, it's, uh, Ben, you're big or you were a big uh, fan of this franchise. Uh, what, what yeah, do you think I still of love this? it.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's definitely seen its ups and downs. I'm still a big fan of this franchise and yeah, I totally agree. I mean, uh, Tyrese seems to be wildly <laughs> conflating his involvement with these movies and their overall success because he is you know, really funny comedic relief in the film, but you know, him and Ludacris a lot of times serve similar roles, uh, you know, that they're basically they serve as the comedic uh, relief and their banter back and forth, um, you know, sort of drives that. But I feel like if you take him out and put anyone else in or just maybe give Ludacris more screen time, you know, there are ways to get around this. It's not like the Fast and Furious franchise is going to be hurting in any significant way if Tyrese is just suddenly gone from the whole thing. They've written out Paul Walker's character after his you know, after he the actor died in real life, and the previous movie um, you know, suffered a little bit from not having that character as sort of a a glue of the story but I do think that uh Tyrese is not nearly as big of a a force in the Fast and Furious world as um Paul Walker's character was so yeah man see you later (laughs) I,
1: I think it's only a matter of time until Tyrese is posting videos on his Instagram begging Justin Lin to put him in put him in the the next movie (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh this is ridiculous uh but lastly our last story of today is uh predator plot details we finally have uh details about shane black's upcoming film the predator revealed by star thomas jane ben you ripped this up what do we know about predator so 20th century fox has is- pretty much kept a
0: lid on all of the plot details for the upcoming film, The Predator. uh, We know that, I think, Jake Busey is playing Gary Busey's character's son in the film. And, uh, uh, you know, aside from that, we weren't really sure exactly what was going on in this movie but Tom Jane basically just sort of blew the lid off the whole thing in an interview with a show called Shadow Nation and I'll read his quote here describing the basic plot of the film he says we play these veterans from like Afghanistan or the Iraq war or whatever but we're all fucking crazy so we go to the VA hospital to get our meds we're all like shell-shocked PTSD soldiers we're at the VA hospital and we're in group therapy and of course somebody flips out This is backstory. I don't think we really see this. Somebody flips out and we all get arrested and thrown onto a bus to go down to the hospital and they throw this other guy in the bus too. And He's a guy who's actually been marked to kill him because he's seen a ufo he's seen the predator ships come down so they lock him up and throw him in with us lunatics they're going to take that bus drive it down to a ditch and shoot us all just to get rid of this one guy but of course we take the bus over and we're all like fuck that man let's go kill these fucking predators ourselves and we're just crazy enough to believe that this guy really did see a ufo and there's these aliens out there so that's kind of (laughs) cool
1: so that's it that was his quote Thomas Shane is insane. Just, just just you reading that, you can you can tell that just from the quote.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I never realized how crazy he was until I read this quote. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, it sounds pretty crazy and, and
0: PTSD is uh, a theme that has come up a lot of times in Shane Black's work. Uh, Mel Gibson's character in Lethal Weapon sort of grapples with that and Tony Stark, even in Iron Man 3, grapples with that experience that he had at the end of The Avengers. So this is a, you know something that has popped up again and again in Shane Black movies. Um, Jane also said that you know, the film has that sort of patented Shane black humor. And he also mentioned that the predators, uh, still look pretty much like the same predator as they always did. He does say predators with an S. So we'd suspected that there would be multiple in this movie, but that seems like the first real confirmation that we have that it's not just going to be one predator as the title might, uh, might imply.
1: Hmm. I'm, I'm very curious about this film. I'm not a huge fan of the predator series, uh but this this all sounds good and you know Shane Black, I'm in. Uh that does it for the news today. Uh where can we find more of your work online, Ben? Uh you can find me writing every day at Slash Film.com. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. Chris, where can we find you?
2: I am also at Slash Film and I'm on Twitter at C Evangelista four
1: thirteen. You can find me on Twitter at Slash Film. You can find all the news we talked about today on Slash Film.com. Links are in the show notes. Uh you can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, thank you for listening. Send your feedback to Peter at com. That's also where you can send questions for the mailbag, which we'll get to later this week. Thanks for listening.